Hi, good evening. Good to see you all tonight. Judges, the, uh, we're going to look at the verses, I'm sorry, chapters 4 through 5 uh, tonight. It's good to see you all and those watching on Facebook. What I did, I, I shared the live on my Facebook page so that anybody on my Facebook page uh, you know, look at it and they can. I didn't know how to do it. I just didn't think about it. Like, hey, I can share this on my Facebook page. Uh, if you have it on your phone, I can show you how to do that one day. Like on a Sunday morning or something. If, if, if you're on Facebook, it's a way that you can share the live from the church onto your profile. Uh, just hit the share button and, and, uh, and just do it that way. And that way it'll show on the church website and on your page. For anybody, any of your Facebook friends to see it too. So, um... Remember, next Wednesday, no Bible study. Uh, we'll be out of town. Um, so we're in the fourth and fifth chapter tonight, which looks at the reign of uh, Deborah and Barak uh, as king. So we'll look at that chapter four, and then chapter five is the song of Deborah. So we're going to look at that. Uh, also, hopefully, y'all had a chance to you know read read ahead. So we're going to go for the Lord in prayer. And that's going to bless our time in his word. Lord, thank you for the faithful here tonight. Thank you for those who are watching on Facebook Live. I pray, Father, for your help, the Spirit's help, to help me to teach this text well as we always seek, Lord, to exposit your word verse by verse and word for word to give a good context of what we're studying so that we can learn about you and learn what you require of us, Lord, and what you are teaching us about yourself and how everything points ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, fill me with your spirit tonight to teach this text well. And, Lord, send your spirit also to illuminate your truths to us tonight. Lord, feed us from heaven with your precious word. And may we be blessed by it. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we're looking at chapters uh, 4 through 5 in the book of Judges. Uh, we're going chapter by chapter through this book. And so tonight brings us to uh, Deborah and Barak, or Barak. And remember, after Joshua died, Israel did not have anyone to lead them. So we have to always be reminded of that. <clears throat> and so Judges came to lead Israel. That's you know why we got the name of the book uh, Judges and remember Israel their pattern of apostasy where they uh, departed from God and God punished them and they repented and then God restored them remember that's going to be the pattern throughout most of the book so here in this chapter 4 we read of the fourth judge to rule over Israel and her name is Deborah. So it says in the beginning, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, <laughs> And the people of Israel, again, or when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel did, again rather, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, 
who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Herosheth, Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So here we are again. Remember, the children of Israel, they began to worship the false gods again. Remember, the land had rest for 80 years. You see that in verse 30 of chapter uh, 3. So they had rest for 80 years. But once again, what did they do? They abandoned God. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what was that evil? The evil that was done before. Where they intermarried. You know, they gave their sons to the daughters of the Canaanites. And the Canaanites gave their sons to Israel's daughters. And they worshiped those pagan gods. You know, we looked at that in the previous chapter. So when we talk about what they did, even in the site, it's, it's back to the same thing. Idolatry, pagan worship, intermarrying with the pagans. So that was their sin. That was their sin. So they did this evil. So it's the continual drift to disobedience. So now God kept working with them, although they kept forsaking God. Think about that. God still worked with them. Although they kept forsaking him. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin the king of Canaan. That's what happened. So God loved Israel too much to let them go their own way. Sometimes in our life, in the Christian life, we sin and rebel against God. But God loves us so much that God continually deals with his children. And how does he deal with us? By chastening us. Just as he chastened Israel. Remember, God had a special love for Israel. These were his covenant people. We read that back in Deuteronomy, the sixth and seventh chapter, that God had a special love for Israel. These were his covenant people. Remember, he told Israel, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. God chose them to be his special possession. And so because of that, he is a father over Israel. And what do fathers do to their children? They chastise them when they get out of line. So we're thankful as believers <clears throat> that God is our heavenly father. Remember, he's only heavenly father to those who are in him through his son, Jesus Christ. To his children, he deals with us. Because we are his children. Hebrews 12 tells us that if we're without chastisement, then we're illegitimate children. God chasing those whom he loves. So if God is not chastening us, then that means that he doesn't love us. That means we're not his children. So he sent them, he sold them into the hand of Jabin as a punishment. So even though even when God rather deals with anyone in this way where he chastises them, it still may take a good while until they turn their hearts to God in repentance. It took Israel 20 years of bondage before they cried out to the Lord. Look at what the passage says. Again, sold them to the hand of Jabin who reigned in Hazor. They cried out to the Lord for help. 
for 20 years. The last couple of uh, words in that in that third verse. They were harshly oppressed for 20 years. And then they cried out to the Lord. So, verses 4 and 5 introduces us to Deborah. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between uh, Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now, this was totally unexpected for God to raise up a woman as a prophet. This was this was uh, unexpected, but it is not uncommon. Because the New Testament makes it clear that God does grant the gift of prophecy unto women also. We see this in First uh, Corinthians 11 and 5. Paul says here. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for this is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So God at some points did uh, appoint women as prophetesses. Now, I'll say this about prophetesses. We know in our day, we have women in churches that call themselves prophetesses. That's not the same thing. These women are self-promoted and self-appointed prophetesses. There are no modern-day prophetesses in the church. None. And I'll explain why. First of all, with Deborah, this was unexpected, but it was also... Now, God did have, have several prophetesses in Scripture. Miriam, Exodus 15... And 20, Miriam the prophetess, she was Aaron's sister. Okay, so you had Miriam. Then you had Huldah in 2 Kings 22 and 14, if you want to write these verses down. So you have Miriam, Exodus 15 and 20. You have Huldah, H-U-L-D-A-H, in 2 Kings 22 and 14. You have Anna in Luke 2 and 36. That was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel. That's Luke 2 and 36. And then you have Philip's four daughters in Acts 21, 8 through 9. You have Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. And stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So you did. This is not a first. Now. In the early church. The central part of a woman's ministry as prophetess. Was clear submission. To the leadership of men in the church. Okay. If she was a prophetess in the church, 1 Corinthians 11 and 5, the ministry of a woman as a prophetess, it was her clear submission to the male leadership in the church. That's why she had to wear a veil or have her head covered. That was a, a mark of submission. 
Okay? So in the New Testament church, it's what we must understand. That's why I said these women now who call themselves prophetesses, they're not doing it in the right way. So in the New Testament church, a woman was to use her gifts in the context of order established by the leaders of the church and by what God prescribed. Pastors of churches are men, not women. Remember, the position of elders, same as pastor slash bishop slash overseer, all come from the same Greek word. A prophetess can't be a pastor of a church. That's, that's, that's out of order. So she was a prophetess because what, what many people do is they use this passage of scripture to justify female pastors. They'll say, well, Deborah uh, judged Israel. And we're going to see why that's a false assumption to make. But many people who support uh, women pastors use Deborah as an example. That she judged Israel. So God raised her up as a judge. She was a uh, heroic leader for them. And she was a woman greatly used by God. Now, the thing is that it's not that it is not that God cannot use a woman. Because God can use women to do many things in his church. It's not that women shouldn't do anything in churches. That's not what that means. But. Deborah was under the authority of Barak, number one. But also, the issue is of headship, final accountability, and authority. And God granted those responsibilities to men in the church and in the home. Women can be used greatly by God. That's not what that's not saying. I mean, it's not saying that, rather. But it is to be under the order which God prescribes. Women can do great things in the church, but she must do it under the headship of a male pastor. That's what that means. So to say that uh, <laughs> Deborah is like a pastor is wrong because she was under the headship of Barak or Barak. And it doesn't mean female inferiority. Okay? Because a woman couldn't be a pastor doesn't mean that women are inferior to men. Remember, God has an order in his church. Paul gave instructions to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, uh, concerning uh, elders. Those are male roles. So when people use Deborah as an example for uh, to justify female pastors there, they're using scripture grossly out of context. And also John MacArthur says uh, in his commentary about this that since Barak didn't lead courageously, God rebuked his cowardice by pledging that a woman would slay Sisera. We'll see that in verse 9. Because Barak didn't have the courage to. So Deborah being a judge was basically like a, a, an indictment against Barak for his cowardice. And also, even having to have a judge over Israel was an indictment against Israel because they just fell to pieces after Joshua died. 
Do you know who was supposed to lead Israel? God. But they forsook the Lord. They forsook the Lord's leadership. So what did God appoint over them? Judges. If Israel had followed God, guess what? They would have never needed judges to lead them in the first place. Think about that. They would have never needed them. Had they obeyed God and had they followed God, lead God's lead, they wouldn't have even needed a judge in the first place. So it said the children of Israel came to her for judgment. Because they needed her guidance. So Deborah calls Barak here in verse 6 and 7 with a message from God. So then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulon, and against you I will deploy uh, Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and the multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. So Deborah never did believe that God called her alone to deliver Israel. She realized that God would do this work through Barak. So she realized that she could not do this by herself. So verses 8 through 10, it says, And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Think about that. <laughs> then Deborah arose and went with Barak to uh, Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under the command. And Deborah went up with him. Psalms say that this shows that he trusted in her relationship with God more than uh, with his own relationship uh, with God. I say that he showed cowardice by not leading by himself. That he didn't need to ask her to go with him. He could have done that himself. But he preferred the inspiration of Deborah's uh, uh, presence to go with him to help him but I think also this shows again that uh, he showed great cowardice by not leading those 10,000 men himself so Israel defeats Sisera here in verses 11 through 13 now Heber the Kenite of the children of Habab the father-in-law of Moses has separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanin, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth, Hagoyim, to the river Kishon. So Heber, the Kenite, these were all distant descendants of uh, Israel through Jethro, who was uh, the priest of Midian, and he was Moses' father-in-law. We see his story way back in uh, Genesis. Um, it came from Abraham's uh, second wife, Keturah. So Sisera had gathered all his chariots together, 900 chariots of iron. That's 
that's a that's a lot that's a very very powerful uh, army very powerful army and this is greater than what Israel had so here verses 14 through 16 we see Sisera and his army is going to be defeated then Deborah said to Barak up for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hands she was speaking as a prophetess has not the Lord gone out before you so Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Hoshaheth, Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So Barak went down with 10,000 men. 10,000 men. But what I like is the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots. Because of Barak's trust in God and his trust in the armies of the Lord, guess what? God gave them a great victory. When we trust in the Lord to fight our battles, friends, God gives us the victory. But we have to trust in the Lord. We have to give it over to him. When we're praying for people, for different things, we trust the Lord. We give it over to him. Lord, you know what's best. Lord, you know what to do. Lord, to you belongs glory. Lord, may you be glorified when this prayer is answered. Not me, but you. That's what we ask. We want God to receive the glory, not ourselves, not us. We want to say, Lord, to you alone belongs the glory. And guess what God does? He goes to battle for us. Against our enemies in the flesh and against our spiritual enemy, the devil, against anything that comes up against us, we, we give it over to the Lord. We ask the Lord to fight our battles for us. And guess what? He's mighty to do that because he is the Lord. He gives his people victory. Amen. Keep trusting him. Amen. Just keep holding on and trusting God. The Lord routed them. And I like that question. Has not the Lord gone out before you? Deborah played a big role. She was an encourager. She built up the faith of Barak. And her encouragement was basically that God as a king would go out before his people into battle. You know what? The Lord goes before us. When you hear, the, when you hear someone say the Lord be with you. When people say that what they mean is the Lord go before you. Like the Lord be with you this day. Each and every day the Lord be with you. That means as we face our day, the Lord goes before us. He paves the way for us. He, he leads us throughout our day. We follow his lead. We follow the, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit.
God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We follow his lead. We hear God's voice as he leads us throughout the day. The Lord goes before all of us, all of his people. The Lord goes before us every day. Remember, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So he is ever present before his people. He's always present before us. He always goes before us. And he went before Israel as they went into battle. So it says here in verse 17, but Sisera fled away on foot. Remember, his army was killed, but he survived. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. But there was peace between Jabin and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. The suspense grows. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground. For he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. That was a gruesome way to go. And then Barak pursued Sisera. I'm sorry, and then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with a peg in his temple. That is something. God did promise that a woman would defeat Sisera. He did promise that. And guess what? Because look back at verse 9. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So she prophesied that. And guess what happened? God sold his hand to a woman. And that woman was Jael. And Jael ended up killing him. So Deborah was right. Now back in these days, uh, women had their tents apart from their husbands. So she snuck in masterfully and, and killed him. And because there were peace between uh, Sisera's people and the people of, of, of jail, he had reason to believe that they wouldn't do anything to him. But the scripture says, you know, there was peace between them. So he could trust her invitation to go into the tent and hide because there was peace between those, those, two, uh, those two peoples. So she took advantage of that. And that's something. It was a promise of security. 
And she drove the peg in his temple. And she knew how to handle that tent peg. Because the thing is, in, in those days, it was, it was the job of women to set up the tents. And man, she had to be pretty strong because the, 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 the peg, she struck it so hard that it went into the ground. So God used her treachery to uh, accomplish his purpose. And this was God's way of judging him because he had uh, oppressed God's people. Back in the third verse, we see that. And what this shows is that God can make even the evil of man serve his purpose. Sometimes God uses the evil of man to accomplish his purposes. You think about Israel. The book of Ezra begins when Cyrus was king and Cyrus was a pagan. And he was king of Babylon at the time, the uh, Persian Empire. And Cyrus, God used King Cyrus to release the first exiles to go back to uh, Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple. Cyrus was a pagan king. But God raised up Cyrus. He prophesied in the book of Isaiah. He raised up King Cyrus to be the one to send the first exiles back to Jerusalem. He gave them safe passage. He gave them money for their travels. I think it was like a three-month journey, three or four-month journey. If I recall, I preached through the book of Ezra a couple of years ago. But um, God used King Cyrus to grant Israel passage to go back to rebuild the temple. So God can use evil to accomplish his ultimate purpose. He does do that in his sovereignty. He used the evil of, of Satan to tempt Job to accomplish his greater purpose for Job. God used the evil of the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees to put Christ on trial, three false trials, to be executed on the cross. God used the evil of the council to do that, to accomplish the ultimate purpose of our redemption. As I'm reading through the book of Luke, as we're reading through the book of Luke now, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, Jesus met opposition from uh, the Pharisees. In the book of Matthew, you saw that he, he got opposition from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and also the judges, and also um, the spiritual religious leaders of Israel in that day. God used their evil to accomplish our salvation. So I always remember that God can use evil to do that. God doesn't sanction evil. God himself doesn't do evil, but he allows that to accomplish his purpose. So we get to the end of the chapter, verses 23 and 24. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed him. So the battle uh, against Sisera was uh, important. It gave them confidence to go to battle. 
it gave them confidence to go and defeat uh, Jabin. So God had given them the victory. Which leads us to chapter 5, which is the song of Deborah, Deborah's song. Now the thing, the theme of this song is the joy and blessing in being a willing instrument of God. That's what this song is about. And I love the opening verses of this song. When leaders in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Now, songs in, in the Old Testament, especially uh, before the Psalms, and even some Psalms, songs in the Old Testament in particular, or Jewish songs of deliverance often happened after great deliverance. In Exodus 15, you have the song of Miriam after God had um, defeated, you know, the, the, the chariots, Pharaoh's chariots in the, in the Red Sea. You have the song of Miriam in uh, num I'm sorry, Exodus 15, 20, and 21. The Lord had triumphed gloriously. It says here in uh, Exodus 15 and 21, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. She was talking about uh, Pharaoh and his chariots. So after great deliverances, they sung songs. They made songs to the Lord. Yet a song celebrating David's victory over Goliath found in 1 Samuel 18 and 7. 1 Samuel 18 and 7 says, So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousand. That was a, a song that was slain, sang after David had defeated Goliath. So songs of deliverance were common, especially in the Old Testament. So Deborah's song, this is what Charles Spurgeon said about it, the great uh, 19th century British preacher. He says, Deborah's saying concerning the overthrow of Israel's enemies and the deliverance uh, given to the tribes. We have a far richer theme for music. We have been delivered from worse enemies and saved by greater salvation. Let our gratitude be deeper. Let our song be more jubilant. So what Spurgeon is saying is they were delivered from an enemy. We as believers were delivered from sin. So our song should be greater and our song should be sweeter. When we sing on Sunday mornings, our singing should be full and robust because we're singing to the God who saved us from the bondage of sin, from the misery of sin, from the tyranny of of sin. Israel was singing as being delivered from their enemies in the flesh from these different nations. But we sing because we have been delivered from sin. That Christ paid our debt. He purchased our salvation on the cross. He died as our substitute on the cross. So when we sing, man, it should be jubilant. It should be joyful. That's what Spurgeon, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what Spurgeon is saying. 
That's what he's saying. Israel sang songs of deliverance. We have a far richer theme for our music. And that is the theme of deliverance from sin. That is the theme of freedom from sin. So that's the overall theme of this song. And then she goes into, as many of them did, remembering the past, verses 3 through 5. Excuse me. Remember what God did in the past. And remember, Deborah didn't live back then in the wilderness, I don't think. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princess. I even I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you turn, I'm sorry, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountain gushed before the Lord. This side now before the Lord God of Israel. So she was recalling the time when God did the same thing on behalf of Israel in the days of the Exodus. In Deuteronomy, the 33rd uh, chapter. The Lord came down from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand came a fiery law for them. That's Moses uh, recounting what God did for Israel in the wilderness. So she was recalling the way that God kept his people and the way that he keeps keeping them. We sung the song Shepherd Sunday, right? The Lord, my shepherd, leads me, leads me. How God keeps us, how he perseveres us, how he preserves us. He will hold me fast. Another song we sing, though our faith may fail, Christ holds us fast. Though the tempter will prevail, Christ will hold us fast. I can never keep my own. We can't keep ourselves through life's fearful paths. Because he will hold us fast. God preserves us. That's why we sing those kind of songs. That's why I always say, hey, when, you, when we're singing these songs, think about who we're singing to and think about what we're singing to him, what the, what the words are actually saying. That's why we try to sing songs that are theologically and biblically rich and biblically sound. Because we're singing about God's perseverance of us, God preserving us, God keeping us, and God carrying us on home. Then verses 6 through 8, she talks about Israel under Canaanite oppression. So that's what we see in those verses 6 through 8. I'm just kind of doing an overall summary of most of these. I'm just kind of highlighting some different things. Then verse 9, she gives a what we call a refrain. Bless the Lord for leaders who led and followers who follow. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. So this shows Deborah didn't care only for her job of leadership. She had a heart for other leaders and their work also. She wanted to see the kingdom of God advanced, basically. She wasn't just concerned about herself, as a lot of these so-called leaders are today. You know, most of these pastors today, especially these false pastors, they're all about promoting themselves. That's all they're about. 
all they're about. They're about self-promotion. They say that they're about the kingdom, but they're about their kingdom. They're about building up their kingdom. They surely do. They have a lot of followers. <laughs> and they're all about building up their kingdom. I was praying this morning and praying yesterday, Lord, since Send some people from these churches to our church. We're, we're preaching the true gospel over here. Because these people are, are fleecing the flock of God. Because they're all about themselves. And Deborah Hill was saying, no, it's not about, not about me. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offer themselves willingly for the people. It's sacrifice. They offer themselves willingly, and that's what a true leader does. And then she recounts a great victory, verses 10 through 12. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villages in Israel. And the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake. Sing a song, arise, barrack, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. So this is her recalling the great victory that Israel had. And then she names all the tribes in verses 13 through 18. And then in verses 19 through 23, the battle is described as a curse on an unhelpful city. She says, Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. The city of Mer Meroz, I guess, was, was a no help. <laughs> but God had cursed them because they had no part in this battle. And when it says they fought from the heavens, it's basically saying that the battle was fought from the heavens in the sense that God has sent rain that made the Canaanite chariots of no use. That's when it said the torrent of Kishon swept them away. So God had miraculously intervened by making it, causing it to rain, making it hard for those chariots to, to, to move in that, in that mud and dirt. And then verses 24 through 27 gives praise to Jael for killing uh, Sisera call her the most blessed among women blessed is she among the women in tents and then she recalls what happened and then verse 28 through 30 is reflection on the soon disappointed of Sisera's survivors the mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice why is his chariot so long coming? So this is his mom. Why tarries the clatter of the chariots? Her wisest ladies answer her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two for Sisera? Uh, plunder of dyed garments. Plunder of garments embroidered and dyed. Two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. So his mother was looking for him. So it was a sad occasion for his family. And this is the consequences of, of war. 
this is the consequence of being evil at times you you can bring hurt to your own family and this was the consequence of JL's action also so the Bible doesn't doesn't skip over that so she was hurt by that and then it ends with verse 31 here final praise to God it says thus let all your enemies perish O Lord but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength and so the land had rest for how many years 40 had 80 years rest last time and then 20 years of oppression and now another 40 years of rest now I'll say this in this end part here to love God is to hate his enemies to love God is to hate his enemies when you love God you hate you hate the enemies of God because those who hate God they hate you think about that because he's your God those who hate God hate God's people you can't love God's people and hate their God you can't do both of those things you can't hate God and love his people because we belong to God and God belongs to us we are his and he is ours so it says here let all your enemies perish O God we should pray for God's enemies to perish bring them to repentance Lord or they will perish we pray against God's enemies the enemies of God's people because you know what they can care less about you <laughs> they can care less about you but we pray against God's enemies I pray that they be saved but also pray against them Lord the enemies of your church and our nation and our world we pray against them that the gates of heaven push them back that the gates of hell not prevail. Because you know what? The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church anyway. Christ said that he's going to build He's going to build a church. No matter how much opposition the church receives. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Bristle up and everything and Yeah. We have to. Yeah, and and the truth is going to do that. It's going to always always remember the truth of God, even even if spoken in love, it's still going to have opposition. It, it's going to always divide. Christ said he came to divide. I just read that in Luke, I think, uh, the 11th or 12th chapter. Christ said he came. He didn't came to bring peace, but a sword. He came to divide uh, children against parents, parents against children, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, so forth and so on. He says, man, enemy shall be of his own household. He came to bring a sword, and that is what truth does. It divides. 
Amen. Yep, exactly. That's right. People need to hear the truth. And, and, and if you're prompted by the Spirit to tell that truth, you do it because you don't want to sin against God. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. Truth. Truth. Truth will do that. It surely will. Yeah. So don't don't be afraid to speak the truth, even in love. Just don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid of people's reactions. Uh, we have to just be consistent with the truth, no matter what. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this study. Thank you for those who heard it here and on Facebook, Lord. I pray that you just be with us as we go through the rest of this week. Go before us, Lord, each and every day. And help us, Father, to do everything to your glory and look to you as we look forward to the Lord's day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.